And I think for me, what education became was this fully enriching, enlivening experience where now everywhere I look, I have these touchstones and they are actual memories of activities with my kids. And they would say the same thing. That is what they retained. You know, they retained dressing up like frontiersmen and doing a gold rush party with their friends. That's what they remember. Mm -hmm. They don't remember the math worksheets. You're listening to For the Love of Learning podcast. This podcast equips, educates, and encourages homeschoolers. My name is Beth Pavlik. I'm a homeschooling mom to four kids. I am the owner of the YouTube channel, For the Love of Learning, and the website, bethpavlik.com, where you can find all kinds of great resources, including my online course for new homeschoolers. Welcome, and let's get started. Today, I get the privilege of interviewing Julie Bogart, the creator of the Brave Writer program and author of The Brave Learner and Raising Critical Thinkers. Julie, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak to me. It's such a delight. Thanks for having me, Beth. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely. So the way that I first heard about you was I read The Brave Learner just this past summer, and I just absolutely loved it. Everything that you were talking about with enchantment and learning was just so fantastic to me. And so I started following you on Instagram and just it snowballed from there. And I looked into your program about writing and how it's all about the kids connection to real life and the relationship that you have with your children and how that's really what drives success in your homeschool. And I I just absolutely loved it. So I just feel like all of your posts on Instagram, like your wisdom and your encouragement is like a warm hug to all oh. of your listeners. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad. It's one of the nice things about being older is being able to look back and see people who are in the trenches and, you know, stick out a hand. It's all important, isn't it? To have that continuity of experience and to share it together. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that just you having that perspective for newer homeschoolers or people like me that are kind of in the middle, it's like, we just need to get out of our own brains being like, what's the best math curriculum? And really hearing from <laughs> someone who's been like, I've been there, done that. It's not a big deal. And just hearing your right. wisdom going through all of it and, you know, being able to look back on it. So I so appreciate all of the perspective that you give to us. Thank you. So I wanted to kind of talk about, you know, how you first started because you homeschooled all five of your kids, right? I did homeschool all five of my kids. In fact, I started when my oldest was five years old in 1991. And we homeschooled full time for about 17 years. Uh, Noah tried a little bit of part-time enrollment at our local high school and hated it. So he withdrew and finished at home. But I had other kids who did varying amounts of public high school. And um, the rest of the time where their homeschooled or did some kind of hybrid version with me and education outside the home. What I will say about this is that I don't regret it. So, you know, when you look back over your life, so often you can pick out the things you wish you had done differently and homeschooling is never one of them. It is one of the things I consider to have been the strength of our family. It endures as the bonding that has created this great family culture that 
persist to this day, even though my kids are adults. And it felt like the best use of my adult life when I was doing it. I never regretted it. I love that. And that's actually one of the questions I was going to ask you was looking back on it, what really sticks out as like, the most defining and the most memorable, like, cause you're not going to remember every single day that you spent with your children, but what really, if you looked back and be like, this is what really stuck out as what defined our, our family. I think it's the kinesthetic side of learning. It's that learning is active. It's, it's not passive. It's not lectures and desks and workbooks and filling out papers and taking tests and learning good study habits the way that school always build education, but that actually learning is embodied. And so by having children and having the full run of our house in our backyard, everything we did used our full bodies. If we were skip counting, we were outside throwing a Frisbee or jumping on a trampoline. If we were studying poetry, we were also making British tea and scones to go with it. If we were learning about art, we were actually attempting to recreate the great masters. I, I was just in the Museum of Modern Art in New York City over the holiday week. And each room I walked into, I was like, oh, that's Pierre Mondrian. Oh, that's Kandinsky. Oh, that's Monet. Oh, that's Van Gogh. Oh, that's Picasso. And oh, there's, you know, Matisse. There's Chagall. And they were like old time friends. And every room I was in reminded me of an art activity I had done with my kids to get to know that artist. And I hadn't even remembered that I had forgotten until I saw the paintings and then remembered, oh yeah, we recreated Pierre Mondrian's artwork with electrical tape and paint on a canvas. Oh yeah, we imitated Matisse by cutting colored paper and creating these cutout collages to look like his. Oh yeah. We tried to paint like Picasso with Girl in the Mirror. And I think for me, what education became was this fully enriching, enlivening experience where now everywhere I look, I have these touchstones and they are actual memories of activities with my kids. And they would say the same thing. That is what they retained. You know, they retained dressing up like frontiersmen and doing a gold rush party with their friends. That's what they remember. Mm -hmm. They don't remember the math worksheets, right? Exactly. Yes. I love it. It's those, those memory making things that have nothing to do with sitting down and using curriculum. You know, it's the right. experiences that you had with each other where you weren't really trying to yes. teach them anything necessarily. Right. It was just putting those good things in front of them and seeing what they get out of it. It was such a shared learning experience. So for instance, I was the one curious about art. Mm -hmm. I wanted to understand art history. I didn't say to myself, my kids need to learn art history. I just started learning art history in front of them. We mm -hmm. used to watch these really great movies by a woman named Sister Wendy. She uh, she did a whole series called The Story of Painting, and it's on YouTube now. Back in the day, it was on video. And I would just watch those in the middle of the day. And my kids come in and out. They'd play with Legos. They'd sit with me. Then we'd go to the museum and I'd try to find the paintings that she talked about or similar ones. And it was sort of shared learning journey that allowed them to sort of sidle up and become immersed and also moved by it. And then it became a conversation between us around this subject area. 
I can say that for opera and poetry as well. I can say it for math and Pokemon cards. I can say it for video games and playing chess. It doesn't really matter the content of the subject. It was this shared adventure of learning with these big, juicy conversations that led to the richness that built our family culture. I love that so much. So you have the Brave Writer program. You've written your two books. You also speak at homeschool conferences too, right? And other types of conferences. What else do yes. you do that I'm not mentioning? I Yeah, that sounds like all of it. I did teach uh, as an adjunct professor for a while at Xavier University here in Cincinnati. And I've been a speaker for other um, events that don't relate to homeschooling. I've spoken on the field that I studied for my master's and uh, and I do love writing. I had a column years ago that was with University Press International, and it was an exploration of religion and spirituality. And I absolutely loved doing that. So for me, writing is the core of all of it. And then the education piece is a mass part of my as well. Yeah. And I love it. I love that in The Brave Learner, Susan Wise Bauer wrote the foreword, right? She did. <laughs> I love her. We use story of the world in my home and we are huge fans. And then I recently was on YouTube and found this old video six years ago of you sitting with Sarah McKenzie chatting. And I'm like, ah, I love Sarah McKenzie. <laughs> so you are in oh, with all of those thing. great ladies. I love the company that you keep. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, Susan and I have been dear friends for years. She's been a real mentor and also a good friend and a good colleague. Uh, one of the things that I love about her is that she brings this sort of PhD level sensibility to her work. And I have such a strong um, admiration for the academic process and for the way that it enriches education. We approach learning in a slightly different way. She's more of a traditional classical educator, and I am much more in the Charlotte Mason slash unschooly direction. But that's one of the great things about homeschooling. Today in particular, there is such a wide variety of available resources and philosophies. And I just always hope that parents will experiment. Mm -hmm. There's no one philosophy you need to marry yourself to till death do you part. It is okay to taste. It's okay to explore. It's perfect to draw one idea from Charlotte Mason, another from me and another from Susan and another from Sarah. Mm -hmm. Do not feel that you owe anyone full allegiance. The only allegiance you owe is to learning itself. And, and that comes from embracing and exploring a variety of viewpoints. Yes. And I love that in your book, you're not telling people to go one way or the other. It's really the whole overview of how are we really going to and keep that fire lit in our kids that they are born with for wanting to be curious and learning. It doesn't matter what style you use. It's all about your children and how you're going to just keep encouraging them and putting the right resources in front of them. So I just, I love all of the collaboration that you talk about in your Brave Learner book too. It's like you as the parent don't have to have all the answers. You can learn right alongside no. your kids. And that's something that I definitely do in my home. They have so many questions and I'm like, I don't know any of this, but I'm going to go and find the answers with you. We're going to go figure it out together. And, and I just love the collaborative piece that you share about in your book. Thank you. You know, that was a real, a real shift. 
for me as an adult. I remember uh, about this book, but I remember when my son Jacob became very fascinated with astronomy, which is a very respectable subject. But I had zero interest in it. And I also felt like I didn't know enough about it to lead him. And in the end, he led me. He led the whole family. His curiosity was insatiable. He got books from the library. And then I found out that there was a historic observatory in Cincinnati. And I thought, well, we can go visit it. And then we got there. And these hobby astronomers were like, showing Jacob how to use their telescopes and showing us all these different planets. And the next thing you know, Jacob wanted his own telescope for his birthday, which in fact, he we gave him. But did I teach him how to use it? I did not. He figured it out on his own and eventually showed us meteor showers and Jupiter and Saturn. And it, it was life-giving to me. I got to be the student. He got to be the expert. All I had to do was supply some resources and a little bit of driving, and he took off. Yeah, I love that story because I do the same thing with my oldest son who loves meteorology. I was like, I don't know anything about meteorology. I'm not an expert in that, but giving him books and he went to go visit the weather station and talk to the meteorologist at our local weather station. And, love and he likes to look at the, um, the weather channel app on his iPad and he will look at the different weather patterns in different parts of the world. And he talks to me about it. And I just love that. I'm like, I can't, I don't need to teach this to you. I just need to give you the right materials and put you in the right situations to where you can take off with it and learn what you want to about it. So I love that. Um, Did you, I'm sure you did, but did you ever have doubts in your homeschool and what made you keep going? Oh gosh, such a true, honest question. And I, I would question whether someone was sincerely homeschooling if they didn't have doubts ever. Mm -hmm. I think the responsibility of being a parent is heavy no matter what kind of educational format you choose. So even parents put their kids in private school or public school, they're asking the same questions. I used to be in this running group of women who all had their kids in public school and I was the only homeschooler. And spent endless amounts of time agonizing over which teacher the student had, what textbook was being used to teach math, whether the grading was there. But they had so much less control than I had. And I think that's what has helped me in those moments of doubt. I wasn't a victim of a system. I was literally in charge of the choices. And so when I found myself nervous about math, afraid we weren't doing enough science, wondering how I would teach another language. I was able to do research and research is where I go whenever I have doubt. Tell me more about what I don't know. Is it okay that my nine-year-old isn't reading yet? Is it okay that my child didn't learn fractions in fourth grade? Uh, What is a better method for learning fractions since this one doesn't seem to be sticking? Mm -hmm. Doubt for me was a catalyst to learning more, to becoming a more effective educator. Mm -hmm. And so instead of wallowing in doubt or wringing my hands, it usually propelled me to go to the library before the internet existed or to go to the internet. Oh yes, and we do both. And that's where I found your books. Like just, I'm like, tell me more about what I need to know. Encourage me. I want to hear from somebody who went, who is on the other side and is like, yes, I did. And I would do it again, you know, and yes. here's how I can encourage you. I just, I absolutely love it. So I'm constantly putting my nose in books and trying to be like, 
Tell me more about all of yes. this. <laughs> right. And, you know, I remember someone saying a, a homeschool veteran that I followed back when I was young, she made the comment, look for research that supports you mm -hmm. and doesn't condemn you. So sometimes when you do that research and you're in a doubtful mind, you feed your doubt with worry, you know, all these alarmist comments like, oh, your child should have been reading age seven. You missed the window. Mm -hmm. That's not helpful if your child is not reading. It's like, I remember in my twenties meeting with an investment guy to decide where to put some money for the future. And he's like, well, you missed the window at 25. I was 28. Mm -hmm. Okay. First of all, not true. <laughs> you can start way later than that and have a future. He made me feel like I was already late, which defeated me. It made me not want to invest money at all because I thought I missed the window. Mm -hmm. When dealing with a child and a child who's struggling, your job is to find positive people who have resources to help you overcome the struggle, not to find people who condemn you for not having already solved the struggle. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's the way to go into facing your doubts. Look for someone to meet you where you are now that you are aware. My old, uh, my middle child, well, one of my middle kids is a boy and he struggled with handwriting and it did not become apparent to me how much of a struggle until he was about 11. He was a left-handed kid. He was very articulate and prolific typer, but handwriting was really hard. And eventually we got him um, help from a reading and speech pathologist, somebody who was actually skilled at this. And he made up for all that lost time in a year. So wow. sometimes this feeling of being behind just means that you didn't capitalize on an earlier version, but just remember your child's brain has matured that many more years. And when you do find the resource, it may move more quickly because your child is more capable. So for me, overcoming doubt means finding a resource, finding someone who believes in the place you are now, and then actually taking advantage of that support system. Do not wait. Once you feel that niggling feeling like something isn't right here, go attack it. You will feel better. And so will your child because they'll see you as a positive person too. I love that. That is so great. And I just had, so I don't have any teenagers. My oldest is 12. And I just got okay. a comment on my video today wondering, she said she has three teenagers and they're not interested in anything. But she said, one of them likes history and will only watch videos of history and then talk about what they learned. And I'm like, well, there you go. They are interested in something. And then another one, she said, another one likes to draw. And so they draw all the time, but she's worried that they're not interested in enough. What would you say to her with her teenagers? So inside the Brave Learner, I have this one quote that a lot of people like to share because I think it speaks to this perfectly. And it is this, everything can be learned through anything and anything can be learned through everything. What do I mean by that? Right now, you and I are sitting at a desk looking at each other through the magic of the internet through a company called Zoom. We could right now do reading, writing, math, science, technology, and history just by focusing on how this Zoom live streaming platform came to be. Because everything about it requires math, technology, science, 
It's um, in the developmental story of communications, telecommunications, which is historical, all the way back to the Sumerians 10,000 years ago, scratching the first markings on a rock to create written communication. So there is a story here that taps into literally every school subject. What we've been conditioned to believe about school is that the subjects are sort of these abstract pools of information that you must be tested on. Nobody's interested in that. Good students appear interested for the carrot of a good GPA and scholarship promises. But kids who've been homeschooled, they don't have a good student motivation. They have their curiosity to drive them. So what I would say is a kid who's watching videos about history and chatting about them, yes, it's a portal to everything else. We get to find out made videos, in what context, what position do those um, filmmakers take? In the book, Raise Critical Thinkers, I have a huge section on interpreting texts. Texts today are also video. You have to go through and see, are you being manipulated? Are you being spoken to um, from that dispassionate attempt at objectivity? Uh, where are these films being filmed? Who are the people in that storyline? What are the consequences of all those actions? There is so much to be gleaned. Like, let's say this student was interested in World War II. Just the Enigma codes alone would draw you into math, science, handwriting, literacy, and a thousand other ideas. But what we do as parents is we stop short. We say, well, they're not interested in anything. We dismiss the interest that appears, and then the child confirms, yes, I hate school. I only want to draw. I only want to watch videos. I only want to play online games. But every single one of those is adjacent in a meaningful way to every subject on the curriculum. Our job as a parent educator is to hook those up, to not be dismayed, but to have those conversations. Um, the second thing I would say is, Find out the child's aspirations. Some kids want college, some don't. Some need to be envisioned toward college by going to a college football game, visiting the dorms, seeing the campus, visiting a lecture. They don't know what college is. They don't even know to look forward to it. It just sounds like more boring schoolwork. <laughs> so when we're talking about a future, the parent's job is to make it enticing, exciting, that adulthood ought to be seen as awesome, not as more weary responsibility that a child wants to avoid as long as possible. I love it. Oh my gosh. I just want to sit here and talk to you all day. Just listen to what <laughs> you're saying. Every, every single word. Well, let's, let's get into the Brave Writer program. So fabulous. This, I, I'm looking into it after I had used three other writing programs with my boys. Wow. They are, they're 12 and 10. I didn't use all of them for a long time, but it was, it's, it was a couple of years. And both of them complained about those other three programs. Now, not that they're bad programs, but they were right. being given writing assignments on topics that they didn't necessarily care about, you know, and they were diagramming the sentences and we were memorizing oh, um, all of the prepositions. And we were, you know, talking about present, past, and, and, future participles and all of that. And they didn't connect it to things that they needed. Right. And so then I yep. got a sample, I think of the, um, the writer's jungle before you, um, you know, retired yes. it. Now you have the growing brave writers, but I got a sample of that to be like, okay, let me look into her program, see what it's all about. 
And something that caught me at the very beginning, and I'm going to mess up this quote, but it was, don't worry. So real authors, real writers don't learn. They don't care about all those mechanics. They just write because they, they are self-expressing and, and the way that we're teaching it in school is not how real writers learn how to write or practice writing. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is, this is what caught me into being like, I know I found the right person and the right program. Amazing. And so what you do is you, you choose good books. We read good books and then we study, you know, all the mechanics and all the structure and all that through reading good books with our children, which I absolutely adore because I'm such a, I'm a very Charlotte Mason homeschooler as well. Love it. I love reading good books with my children. So can you talk a little bit about why you started this program and, and, and why you chose to do the way that you do it? Yeah. So I don't know if you know this, but my mother is a professional author. She's written 72 books. And so, yes. So I grew up around professional writing. My mom wrote articles for magazines. She taught writing. She taught me to write. And one of the things that really stood out about her whole experience of writing is that she was encouraging. She was not punitive. She was not constantly on my case with a red pen, the way teachers were. She was collaborative. She saw the value of what I was trying to convey and then helped me enhance it. I remember one time I was working on this short story for seventh grade. We had to pick man against man or man against nature or man against himself, right? So very gendered back then. And so I decided to pick man against himself. And I wrote this story about a little girl who gets lost in Mexico on a family vacation. I had just gotten back from a family vacation in Mexico. So I thought this would be a great story. So I was showing my mother the rough draft and she affirmed it up and down. And then she said, you know what I'm wondering, Julie, you talk about this train ride to Mexico, but you just basically start on the train. And I'm wondering if we could open with a little conversation that the young girl's having with her mother about getting ready for the trip. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, dialogue is a way to really stir up interest for the reader. She goes, let's play act it. You be the girl, I'll be the mom, and let's have a little conversation. So we acted it out. And then she started jotting it down. And then she's like, why don't you take it from here? And that is, for me, um, one of those memories that I've reminded her of that she completely forgot uh, (laughs) that really stayed with me in the moment, because what my mom was doing was noticing the content for reader value, not for a grade. And that became my motif of writing was, how do I get the reader to feel surprised, interested, curious? satisfied, afraid, happy, warmed, like that became my whole goal with my own writing. So by the time I was homeschooling my kids, I was not using anybody's writing programs. I was working as a ghostwriter, a freelance editor and writer for all kinds of people. Um, I actually corrected uh, doctoral dissertations for people before they submitted them to get their PhDs. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what I was doing just for fun. And I had these friends who were homeschooling and they said, how do you teach writing? And when I looked at the products that were out there, they were things like, what is a sentence? What is a paragraph? And I thought, really? 
human beings already speak fluent paragraphs. Why are we wasting time on that? It's it's an indentation. I can teach that to you in 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And then I would read the sample paragraphs and they were so wooden and lifeless and no one would ever want to read them again. So I knew there was room in the space for a parent hack. How do I help a parent coach writing? coax the good to come out of their kids and not alienate them at the same time. And I started that in 1999 and the company launched in January, 2000. And we've just seen such amazing fruit every day. I get messages from parents saying, oh my gosh, our lives are changed. Mm -hmm. And this morning in our staff meeting, I said, it's so funny to think that writing is that key, but here's what it is. You, the parent, are the biggest fan your child will ever have. When your child self-expresses in speech, didn't you lose your mind? Didn't you write it in your baby book and call your mother and tell all your friends he's talking, she's talking, right? That's what you do. And then when they string together like a whole little paragraph that includes facts they picked up from somewhere and you don't even know how that happened, you're like, how does my child know so much about cactus, right? <laughs> like You're just like, where did that come from? So when they go to putting that self-expression on a screen or on a page, just picture that feeling on steroids. Mm -hmm. It is the most proud, the most joyful. And yet what do we do? We crush their spirit before they ever get the opportunity to experience themselves as authors. And in Brave Writer, we want to give them that experience as early as possible before they're even reading or physically writing. Because the content comes from a spirit and a mind. It doesn't come from a pen. And if we can give them the opportunity to self-express and jot it down for them and then read it back later, that's the moment the author is born. And they love it. They they know that their thoughts are suddenly valued. I love it. It's just amazing. It's saying instead of making sure that we get the do it everything right and get the right grade, it's saying this is a wonderful way for you to self-express. This is a great way yes. for you to get those thoughts because everybody, every child has those thoughts that they want to express. And I see it every day with my own children wanting to talk to me about what they're excited about every single day. And I love in Brave Learner, you encouraged us to jot down everything that they're saying yes. so that you can read it back to them. And I was like, that is genius because I will go on a walk with my 10-year-old son, just the two of us. And we'll walk for 30 minutes and he'll speak to me for 30 minutes straight about what wow. he's excited about. And I'm like, it just flows out of him. And I never thought about like recording that. So what I'll do is I'll take my, whatever it is, the voice memo thing on my phone. Cause I don't have paper with me to write it down while we're yes. walking, but yes. I'm like, I'm just going to record this so that we can listen to it later because he's just self-expressing out the wazoo with this. And he just, and he knows that I'm going to listen. He knows that I am a willing listener to him. And I just, I love to hear it. And then my seven-year-old daughter, she started writing books before she even knew how to write all the letters. My daughter did that too. Her, but she's a writer. She wants to write books. And I had to ask you, she has written so many books and we've printed them out and all of that. And she's like, mom, I want to get my books on the library shelves so other kids can read these. I want them to be published. And I'm like, okay, you're seven. How do I explain? I don't know what to tell her about that. I'm like, well, sweetie, this is how the publishing thing works. And, and to get it on the shelf is, I don't want to crush her dreams for it. 
You know what I mean? Oh, but like do, she do not crush them. So right. here's what I invite you to do. Okay. Take the book that she's written and self-publish it through Amazon. First of all, okay. there's a way to do that. It's called Kindle Publishing. You okay. can upload the file. It will be a real book. You can actually order the book and have it to your house, to grandma's house, to anybody's house. It can be listed even on Amazon. Wow. And once, and, and you could have grandparents buy it. So that's almost as good as the library, like get it on Amazon. And then what I recommend is go to the library with the book, mm -hmm. have her make her pitch. Okay. I have heard of families because I've been doing this for so long where the library has done it. They've wow. literally taken a donation, put the little sticker on it and put it on the shelf. Oh it has happened. I can tell you that. Now you might have a library that says no, but mm -hmm. that's part of the lesson. Then she gets to find out, oh, there's a process and I haven't done it yet, but now I know what the process is. And as I get older, my dream is to achieve that process. That was how my mother started as a writer. She was mm -hmm. in like a third or fourth grade class. And the teacher said, we're all going to write books. And then when you finish your book, I'm going to dedicate this library shelf in the classroom to your books. And you can check each other's books out. And my mom was like, I'm going to be a published writer. That is exactly what I'm going to do. And that's how it started. So there are ways, if you're in a co-op, you could start a trading lending library of children's published books with all of your co-op families oh, and wow. actually facilitate this. But here's what you just touched on that I think is so important to notice. Mm -hmm. We automatically rule out what we think we know. And I am the first to have done this. I thought my son could not get in college without chemistry, two years of foreign language and advanced math. And he absolutely did. He got into University of Cincinnati without any of those. Wow. <laughs> and I prophesied doom over his head over and over. I said, oh, it'll never work. And you'll never get in. And I'm upset that you aren't taking these classes now and you're ruining your future. And I said all the things you should never say. That's what's good about having me around because I have plenty of regrets that way. <laughs> But what instead you find out, and you know, once I went all the hard knocks with my poor oldest child, I started recognizing that actually, no, you don't know until you try. You don't know until you talk to human beings. Mm -hmm. They create opportunities. They break rules. They make exceptions. Um, one of my kids wanted to be the valedictorian of his high school. He decided to go full-time starting sophomore year, but he couldn't be the valedictorian because he hadn't gone there his freshman year. So he's very upset about this with me. Like, you've ruined my high school life. I wanted to give the speech at graduation and now I won't be able to. <laughs> Fast forward his senior year, the valedictorian was a violinist, a young woman who is completely afraid to speak in public. So she played a violin solo and then they opened it up for anyone to compete to give the speech at graduation. And you already know the answer to the story. <laughs> My son ended wow. up giving the speech. You just don't know. Mm -hmm. So out of our desire to protect them, sometimes we keep them from having the dream. Mm -hmm. uh, another one, I'll tell you one more about book writing, because this was also really cool. Mm -hmm. This one mom I know had a son who wrote this military handbook. He was obsessed with tanks and guns and everything. And she had gotten to know a little local bookstore and asked if he could do a book signing. They printed all these copies 
And then they invited all their friends and the bookstore said yes, because it was a little like family owned bookstore and they knew it would bring in all these people. Wow. So he had the full publishing experience of writing a book, publishing it, bringing a stack, signing it at age 12. All his friends and family came and they all shopped and everybody was happy. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yes. I'm so glad that you told me about that. So I'm going to do that with her books because she's so excited. And up until now, I've just been like, well, I'm going to look into it. I'll see what we can do. I was like, maybe we could go to a publishing factory near us. And I don't know of any book publishing factories near us. And so I was trying to rack my brain (laughs) about what to do, but I love that you said that. We'll look into the Kindle publishing. Oh, it's so easy. Can totally do it. And I, and she would love it. I know she'd be so excited and proud. Um, okay. So the brave writer program. So I bought, so this year is my first year buying it and I got the dart and I got the arrow, um, the whole, you know, one year, uh, bundle. And then I got the growing brave writers as well. So some questions that I have are for people that are curious about the program. Um, so you can, you don't have to buy a year long program for all of the, you can ha- buy them separately, correct? And each one is with a yes. different book. Yeah. So we have, I want to back up a second and, and yeah. give you the sort of philosophical understanding of how our program is structured because it's different than a typical grade one, grade two, grade three. Mm-hmm. What we do is we look at writing as having three distinct parts, almost like a three-legged stool. So the first and most important part of the writing life is your original thought life. It's the thoughts you have that live in your body. If those can be externalized, even a secretary can type them up for you. God forbid you lose the ability to use your hands, right? Like you become paralyzed or something. So externalizing the thoughts, original thought life, that's the number one plank in this three-legged stool. The second one is the ability to transcribe those thoughts. So assuming you have full use of your hands, you can learn to handwrite or type, which requires the skill of reading. It requires the skill of spelling, punctuating, understanding basic grammar. All of those are best taught using living literature, as you alluded to earlier in this conversation. Instead of teaching them in isolation with made up sentences that have no meaningful content, Why not use master writers like E.B. White, right? Somebody who actually has written Kwame Alexander, who have written gorgeous books. And now you take those and you analyze them to learn literary devices, punctuation, grammar, and spelling. When you start with those two ideas, the original thoughts and the mechanics learned through literature, you are starting to develop a relationship between those two. Initially, adults' thoughts are fluent and their handwriting and spelling are not. So we have the parent bridge that gap with what we call developmentally appropriate writing projects, what you might know as a writing assignment. Mm -hmm. So for instance, you already mentioned one of them, the skill of jotting down an original thought on behalf of the child. So we have a product actually called Jot It Down. And each of those activities, each of those writing projects include things like writing a letter, writing a narration about a fairy tale, writing, um, chasing a whole bunch of big numbers and putting them in a story. Like there's all kinds of writing activities that don't really require handwriting because you're learning that slowly through these other products. 
And as the child gets older, we have additional sources of writing projects for that developmental skill as they gain pencil or typing control. So to put it all together then, Growing Brave Writers, which looks like this. This is the spine. This is the core manual that teaches you how to coax the original thought life into writing for your kids. Every chapter has like a coaching guide and then it'll have a, um, here we go. It'll have a coaching guide and then it will have an activity that goes with that information. And it is all broken out with checklists and um, skill building and everything that you need to understand to know what that activity does in the writing life of the child. So that's one leg of the stool. Mm -hmm. The second one then are these, what you were alluding to. These are our, what we call literature guides or literature handbooks. And basically what they are is 10 to be used one a month over the school year paired with a read aloud. And we only have five levels because we believe in bundling your children. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, yes. I had five kids. I didn't want to teach five levels. Yes. So you can pick a level that works for both boys, or you can pick a level that works for three of the five kids. Mm -hmm. And those levels are determined by the books. So just look at the book list that we've selected, and then you're going to read aloud in the morning, and then in the afternoon or a little afterwards, you'll do the activities, which are broken out one week at a time. So they're very simple. And then the third part then are these writing project tools. And um, let's see, here's the other one for your age group, building confidence. Yes. And these writing projects, for instance, like this one for this level is writing an advertisement. Mm -hmm. And it includes the description, the process, the objective. There's my son writing his advertisement for a bicycle he created. We look at logos, we look at ad copy, and then we design it. And there's all kinds of activities in these. So how does that all fit together? You have a thought, you have the transcription skill, and now you want to make something, a report, an essay, an ad, an interview. Here's what doesn't happen in most programs. They skip straight to the interview. They mm -hmm. skip straight to the paragraph. They say, write a paragraph. Mm -hmm. Maybe your child's mechanics aren't good enough to write a paragraph yet. Maybe your child doesn't know how to access the life of language that lives inside and get it to the page. If you don't teach your kids those two things, paragraph writing becomes a small torture. And that's why kids hate writing. They're mm -hmm. being asked to do writing assignments before they've actually built the skill of self-expression and the mechanics to a level of fluency that support that project. So those three things work together in Brave Writer. Yes. And that's, that's exactly what happened with my boys, putting those assignments in front of them when they really weren't self-expressing, they were just doing the motions that I told them to do, you know, that's um, right. and that's why they were like, why, why are you making us do this? This is not fun. I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm just doing it because you're telling me to. So that's why I was like, this program is really about them, not about what I'm trying to make them do with figuring out all the rules and all the mechanics and all of those things. And they love reading books with me too. And so, and we've already read a few of the books. We're a little bit behind, but with the arrow, oh, we read- there's no behind. Right. 
Well, we re- we're just not on a very good schedule, but with my oldest, we did read Echo Mountain, which was just, it just oh. opens up so much concepts and ideas and, and a life that we would never live ourselves. And we get to live it yes. through these people. And that's, that's another thing I wanted to talk about is these books. All of them are so diverse and you know, and you talked about that. I watched your your webinars that you did when you were announcing all of the books for this year. And you were like, you know, we choose the authors are diverse and the topics are and, and all of that. So how do you choose these books? Yeah. So the books, uh, the book selection is done by one of my team members in particular with a small team that works with her. Uh, she reads every book cover to cover. We don't recommend anything that we haven't fully read. Mm-hmm. The goal from the beginning for me, all the way back to 2000, was to raise global citizens. I wanted children who had a view that was bigger than their living room. I had lived abroad. I had studied abroad. I knew other cultures. I lived in Morocco. I lived in France. I lived in Central Africa. I wanted my children to feel like the world was a place they were welcome and knowable and not scary or far away. So we began by picking books that really illuminated all the various cultures, and we've increased that to include the wide variety of genres available today in writing, whether it's poetry or a young person's edition of a nonfiction title. Like I remember that we had Malala's book as one of our choices and hidden figures so that we're giving our kids the opportunity to experience a variety of forms, a variety of authors, a variety of protagonists, and a variety of experiences. And and that has really guided the book selection. And of course, we look at reviews, make sure they're compelling. It's like a jigsaw puzzle because you don't want too many unhappy ones in a row. You want to make sure there's a fantasy here and there. You want to make sure there's something that's poignant, but also something that's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a challenge, but I think we do a good job. Yes. Oh my gosh. The global citizen thing. Absolutely. That's how I feel about it. Like I, that's how I choose books for myself as well. I'm like, I have never gotten to live abroad or travel abroad. I love reading stories from different people, different time periods, people that have completely different walks of life from me that I get to experience through them. And so I love doing that with my children as well. And we've been We've read so many good books that come from different time periods. And we use five in a row as well, which has a lot of different books from different genres and, you know, time periods yes. and all of those things. And I'm like, I just, I do want them to know what the whole world looks like and not just our neighborhood or our town or anything like that. So I love that you make that a point in your book selection. It's so fantastic. The last thing I wanted to share about was your Raising Critical Thinkers book. I, it's on my list. I haven't read it yet. Can you share a little bit about that book as well? Yeah, this is what it looks like. Awesome. People are looking for it. Yeah. So Raising Critical Thinkers, oh, it's such a work of of passion for me. Back in the 1990s, when the internet first started, I hopped online with what I thought would be a very homogeneous group of homeschooling mothers. We were all women. We were all married. Most of us, you know, back then we were conservatives. We were heterosexuals. We were married. We were stay-at-home moms. And I just imagined that we'd all get along really well (laughs) and we get to exchange all these great ideas. And, you know, that did happen. There was a lot of fabulous exchange. It became addictive very quickly because this was such a novel experience back then. But also simultaneous to the joy was a shocking amount of arguing. It's just like 
the wars over breastfeeding versus bottle feeding and cesarean and V-backs and home births. And then when people got anywhere near Christian theology, it just became an absolute bloodbath. Mm -hmm. And I just kept asking this question to myself, why does each person think they're so right that the other person should just fall in line? Like, it wasn't like, oh, that's interesting. You think that way? I always thought this way. Tell me more about that. It was more like, no, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. This is the facts. And here's my source. Why aren't you falling in line? I've shown you now that this is the fact. How are you still resisting my fact? And so I asked these questions of myself at the time, like, how do we arrive at our thinking? Why do we assume our thinking is better than someone else's? On what grounds do you change thinking? How much data or information do you need before you change your mind? And what's at risk when you change your mind? What do you lose? What do you gain? And it became like a 20-year fascination for me. I mean, it, it landed me in grad school, honestly, to try wow. and sort it all out. And this book has really been in the works for over 20 years. It was the first book I wanted to write, but The Brave Learner became the more obvious first book to write. Mm -hmm. So for me, this is really a work of my heart. And I feel like especially in a space like homeschooling, which is somewhat self-defending, you know, ideological choices we defend more strenuously, especially those that go against the mainstream. Mm -hmm. And so what I really wanted to do was provide these parents who care about education with the actual tools to identify misinformation, to be less defensive, to see around the corners of their belief systems, and to provide their children with really the toolkit they need to survive the glut of information that the internet has unleashed on them. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't remember the world before all of this occurred and websites are deceptive and facts are manipulated and statistics are used for all kinds of purposes that may not align with the best answer. So I want to address all that. Well, I think it's the perfect time right now to have this type of book. Absolutely. And I think, is it more for the homeschool mom to read or should we be talking about this with our older children as well? Like how appropriate do you think it is to speak with the children about it? Oh my gosh. So true to form, um, every chapter has activities for three different age ranges and it covers all the ages. So okay. you could literally use this as a um, curriculum. And it's, by the way, not just written for homeschoolers. It's written for any parent. So we have like activities for what I call the bright-eyed child, five to nine. And then we have activities that are for the quick-witted child, 10 to 12, your age kids. <laughs> and, um, and then the nimble-minded, 13 to 18. And every chapter has activities to express what you've learned. Here's what was tricky about writing this book. I'm educating the adult at the same time that they're educating the child, mm -hmm. because I don't know if you've noticed, but adults aren't great critical thinkers. We all think we are the yeah. same way we all think we're good at driving. When you're behind the driver's seat of your own thinking, all the information that created this belief is living in your body. So it's unassailable to you. But what we have to start to understand is that's true for everybody else too. And mm -hmm. so we start to recognize that critical thinking is first identifying our own bias and then making space for someone else's entirely different point of view. Doesn't mean we're always going to have empathy for it or even agree with it, but it does mean we're going to understand it better. 
so that we can engage together and not combat each other all the time. So it really, and it's a fun book, like starts right out of the gate with um, talking about the true story of the three little pigs written <laughs> by uh, John Sheska, yes. so that you get a feeling of how viewpoint shapes storytelling right from the start. Wow. I love it so much because I definitely think that all of us need help in thinking critically and also trying to have conversations with others that are actually productive and and that we right. don't just, you know, get stuck in our own brains and think that everybody else is wrong, but really working together so that we can understand each other better. Uh, I think that's so fantastic. I'm so excited to read it eventually. So um, the last thing is just where to find your curriculum um, oh, is bravewriter.com, well, right? Correct. Bravewriter.com. I'm active on Instagram. If you're looking to connect with me there, Julie Brave Writer, and mm -hmm. all the social spaces. We also have a podcast that goes back all the way to 2011, I think. So there is an, just a ton of good content about our program, about home education, about being a parent educator. So if you're looking just for something to do while you wash the dishes, uh, that's also a great place to go. Yes. I love that. I do listen to your podcast as well. And I'll put all the links to the website and the Thanks. podcast and socials all in the description so people can find them. Um, I just can't thank you enough for chatting with me today. I appreciate all of your wisdom, everything that you're doing to encourage homeschool moms, just like me. I mean, it matters. And I know that, you know, it makes a difference and I just appreciate it so much. So thank you. Thank you, Beth. It's been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Good questions. Great discussion. I enjoyed it so much. Wasn't that fantastic? I just loved that conversation so much. And like I said, I will put the website, uh, Julie's website in the description below, as well as where you can find her on Instagram and her podcast. And by the way, if you have not subscribed to my YouTube channel, then you can find that in the description as well. And you can also connect with me on Instagram. It's all in the description of this episode. Thank you so much for listening today. If you loved this episode, I would appreciate you giving it a like. Like, and you can also rate my podcast in general and you can share this specific episode um, with any of your friends or family or on your socials so that we can get this out to more people. Until next time, I hope whoever you are with, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, that you're enjoying it. See you next time.